Tonight we will start with the longest chapter in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. These verses sit right here in chapter 7 of Numbers, and it's 89 verses. So we're going to start off with the longest chapter in the first five books of the Bible. Many of you may have known that. It's a little free little gift of knowledge tonight, if you haven't, didn't know that. Uh, and we start off, and we're going to see two items, the gifts and the lamps. And, uh, and again, we're going to find, putting us in the stage here, uh, they were just, as we learned last week, they just finished the tabernacle. They're at the base of Mount Sinai. And they are given now some instructions after that uh, finishing of that building. We continue here in chapter 7 and 8 of that scene there and some of the details that God wants to work out and make sure that the people, especially the priests and the Levites who help the priests, the laities who help them to make sure they um, are clear on their roles and responsibilities. And, of course, to the people itself. That's, gonna, that's what we're going to start here tonight, and that is the giving of the first gifts there at the tabernacle. Look and follow along with me in chapter 7, verse 1. Now it came to pass, when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, that he anointed it and consecrated it, and all its furnishings, and the altar, and all the utensils. So he anointed them and consecrated them. And when the leaders of Israel, the heads of their father's houses, who were the leaders of the tribes, and over those who were numbered, made an offering. Verse 3. And they brought their offering before the Lord. What was that? Six covered carts, two... Uh, Six covered carts and twelve oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders, and for each one an ox, and they presented them before the tabernacle. So just taking the first three verses here, we see something very interesting. It's seemingly, if you look and understand the chronological order here, this book of Numbers is out of the chronological order in regards to the, when these events happen. It really happened back in, uh, happened before the events in Numbers chapter 1 that we studied. With that alone, just know where it's in the sequence of events, what we've been studying, that knowing that this is before Numbers 1, there on that first day of the first month in the second year since Israel was brought out of Egypt, the tabernacle was erected or completed and dedicated to the Lord. You can go back to Exodus chapter 40 when we studied that in regards to that moment. And on that day... The 12 tribes of Israel would begin bringing a special offering to the Lord to be used by the priests and by the Levites in the tabernacle service. So the people gave generously back a year prior to build and have the things available to build this tabernacle. The tabernacle's built, now they're coming with a special offering or again, to be used by the priests and the Levites to do and to do ministry within the tabernacle. So it's like building a church, right? People bring in generous gifts and abilities to build the building, and then the dedication and the anointing happens, and then people bring other gifts for the actual ministry, the work to be done in that building. And that's exactly what we find here. 
But those generous people who gave to the building of the tabernacle, seen in Exodus 25 and also seen in Exodus 35 through 36, now are contributing to the ministry work or the maintenance of the tabernacle. Now, what do we see here? That they brought the leaders of the tribes, they each brought these offerings, and these were very expensive. These are very um, uh, items that people would be would be, oh, wow, you have a cart? And you, you know, that, that was a big deal back then to have a cart, let alone to be able to have 12 oxen that were giving to these carts and they were given to, two, uh, to every two of the leaders. Why was that? Well, we're going to see why they gave these carts of what great luxury and, uh, and no doubt a significant offering from the tribes to the priests and the Levites to do the work of God. Verse 4, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon according to their service. Important to know that. The four carts, and verse 8, and four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, according to their service, under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. Verse 9, but to the sons of Kohath he gave none. He didn't get, they didn't get a cart, they didn't get an ox. They were left out, weren't they not? No, because theirs was the service of the holy things, which they carried on their shoulders. So if you remember back in Numbers 4, when we were talking about the responsibilities of each person, each of those families of the Levites had their responsibilities of what they were going to do in regards to the tabernacle. Some had to take care of the nice light white curtain that went around and other cloths, but another tribe was more responsible for the actual infrastructure, the poles, and all of the things to hold those curtains up. And so you see that they came, the people of the tribes came with carts to help them to move these items of the tabernacle. They were responsible for tearing down. Then they were on their march through the, uh, the wilderness. They would set it back up. Well, they got to have carts to help carry all that stuff of the tabernacle that we described. Except to Korath. That family had to do what? They were responsible of moving the actual holy items within the, in the tabernacle or sanctuary itself and the Ark of the Covenant, all of those items had to be carried based on poles on the shoulders. They had to carry the burden of that ministry on the shoulders as they moved from site to site. They didn't get to have carts. And so we see here the family of each one of these families, they were given these special blessings, this great luxury of having the ability to move and transport the fabrics of the tabernacle or the, uh, for Merari, it was the boards and the pillars and all the heavy things. That's why they got more carts and more oxen. Now we see in verse 10, these 12 leaders of these 12 tribes are going to bring a dedicated gifts to the tabernacle on each day of the 12 days. So each 
an order, a very specific order, in the same order that was sat, their tents were put around the tabernacle, they're now coming in. These were the same order as they were marching across their wilderness to go into the promised land. These was the order of the families that were supposed to, uh, that's the order or the organization that they were to follow as they moved across. Well, they're going to give the gifts in that same order, but one day at a time, it was going to be a highlight of that tribe bringing their gifts to the Lord for the use of the ministry, use of the things. And this is significant as we look at this because it's a huge chunk of the verses here. As we look at these verses 12 through 88, those are all going to be repetitive in many, in many nature or in many ways because it's the same, lots of same words. And I'm going to highlight them quickly, but I want you to take note of this. Because there was the longest <laughs> chapter in the Bible here of the five, the first five books, I should say, that you would look at that and say, that's just repetitive, and I'm not going to read through all that. And that's fine. But you have to understand, he separated each of those. He could have summarized it and said, the 12 tribes brought these following items, and it would have been one paragraph. But he wants to emphasize to you and I, regardless of, you are looked at and accounted for individually of your giving to the ministry. God takes account what you individually give to the ministry for the sake of and the use of for the ministry of ministering to the people. So whatever you bring, God takes a note of that. And it's very important to him what you give to him. To, for the, it's the same thing with today. We give our gifts, uh, tithes, gifts, and our offerings to God. We bring it freely, joyfully, to for bring it here so that God then can use that for the use within the ministry. To do the work that God's called this church to do. That's what it's for, and we do it freely. But God accounts for every single one of us what we do or do not bring. He does. So let's look at this. Verse 10, And the leaders offered the dedicated dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. For the Lord said to Moses, They shall offer their offerings one leader each day for the dedication of the altar. So they're doing it exactly what God's called them to do. And God wants to have them have their day of dedication. So they're clearly they're doing what God's called them to do. In verse 12, notice here, I'm going to highlight the very first verse, that the day who offered his offering, or and, uh, and the one who offered his offering on the first day was Nashon, which is from the tribe of Judah. So again, the tri tribe of Judah was the very first tribe to set, set camp around the tabernacle. They're the first ones to bring the offering, and they're in that offer. Now you read all the way down to verse 17, you can see all the items. I'll summarize that at the end. But these are all the items that they were to bring for the use of the, for the ministry. In verse 18, you see on the second day, Nathaniel, who is the leader of the Ishakar, presented an offering as well. And if you look all the way down to verse 23, it's the exact same items that you read the first day. Then you get to verse 24, it's now the third day. Eleb, which is the leader of the children of Zebulon, all the way down to verse 29, it's the same items that they're bringing. Now you get a clue. 
Somehow they looked at each other, these 12 leaders who represented their 12 tribes, all looked and said, this is what we're all bringing to God. There was an expectation given, and they were all bringing them, and they were, they were faithful to bring what God and what they were to bring. And we see this day one, day two, day three. Verse, verse 30 we see, day four is Eleazar, which is the children of Reuben. Then you go down to verse 36, on the fifth day is Shelomiel, I think is how you say it, is the children of Simeon. You get down to verse 42 on the sixth day is Elisaphat, I'm not sure, Elisaphat, I've said it so easily when I read it, but now I can't say it, Elisaphat, which is the children of Gad. And then you go down a little further, you get down to verse 48 on the seventh day is Elishama, which is the children of Ephraim. Then you get down to 54, you see the eighth day, Gamelel, which is the children of Manasseh. Then you jump down to verse 60 on the ninth day is Abadan, which is the children of Benjamin. You get down to verse 66 on the tenth day is Eleazar, which is the children of Dan. Then you could jump down to 72, which is on the eleventh day is Pegalel, which is the ch- children of Asher. And then finally on the twelfth day is Ahira, uh, which is the children of Naphtali. That takes us all the way down to 80, uh, verse 83. Now in 84, here's the summary of all of those tribes each day that was given. You see that this was a dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel when it was anointed 12 silver platters, 12 silver bowls, 12 gold pans. Each silver platter weighed 130 shekels and each bowl 70 shekels. All of the silver in the vessels weighed 2,400 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The 12 gold pans full of incense weighed 10 shekels apiece according to the shekel of the sanctuary and all the gold of the pans weighted 120 shekels. All the oxen for the burnt offering were 12 young bulls. The rams uh, 12, the male lambs in their first year 12 with their grain offerings and the kids of the goats as a sin offering 12 and all the oxen for the oxen for the sacrifice of peace offerings were 24 bulls the rams 60 the male goats 60 the lambs in their first year 60 this was the dedication offering for all the altar after it was anointed do you see how much resources and the cost associated of what each of the tribes collected all uniformly and brought to the use of the ministry within the, within the body so that the priests and the Levites could then use that for the sake of doing the ministry that God called them to do? It's amazing of the resources that they brought. But they faithfully brought them. That clearly this was a generous gifting. God must have showed these promised land people how to give. And that is what God does teach us. We teach us how to give as promised land people. We have such promise as children of God. And with that promise, it gives us the ability to give to others in need or give to the sake of the ministry. A slave by nature is a taker. 
Someone who does not have that promise, he's a, just a slave, he's a, he's a ta- he's, he's at nature, he's a taker, because he often is unsure of the provision of what he or she will get, so they're always looking to take, always looking to get, if, when they're not sure if they're going to have their next whatever provision, a meal or place to go, they're always looking. But when you have a promised land people who are a surety that God is providing, God is going to take care of them, God is directing their lives, God is going to be faithful, then the promised land people are generous people. They they look for opportunities to give a little here, give a little there. Just as God leads them, they want to give because they trust in God who promised to meet all their needs. It doesn't matter if you have a lot of money or you have no money. You can be a promised land person who you have such trust in God, provision for you as a child of God, you're willing to give more than looking to take or receive. It's it's a heart issue. It's a nature issue. It's just the way it is. Each tribe leader brought exactly the same offering over the 12 days. Clearly, this is a very humble giving. Because everyone, same gift, by every, same uh, tribe, all having their day that they need to do, in the order that God had said that needed to be, God made sure that no tribe, no tribal leader could glorify himself through their giving. No tribe leader come up and say, I'm the tribe of Judah. You know, the biggest one, you know, of course, we're going to give the biggest tithe, you know, the biggest gifts. Of course, look at me. No, no one could take any credit whatsoever. They were being faithful to what God had said to give, and that's where it stood. God gets all the glory. We never want to take and get glory for what God is calling us humbly to do for him in, in giving. So no tribe, no tribal leader glorified. And we must resist the tendency to give in order to be seen by men. That's the second point. You do not want to give for the sake of making sure you can be seen by men. Promised land people care about God's glory and not their own. So each offering is recorded exactly the same way. Seems redundant. Seems it's taking up space in the Bible. God doesn't care. (laughs) He wants it clear that everyone did the same thing the same way. No one gets any glory. Clearly, godly, godly giving is always noticed by God. Even if it is the same or less than other gifts, God sees and records every gift given by the right heart. Even if it's only worth two mites, as we see, as that old lady brought just two mites, We see in Mark 12, every gift from the promised land kind of heart is noticed by God. And then we see in verse verse 89, now when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice of of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony between the two cherubim. Thus he spoke to him. So Moses would speak to God. God would speak to Moses from the mercy seat. Then Moses would pass along God's directions and orders to the people. 
then the people had a choice if they were going to be obedient and follow through with what they were told they need to do. Exodus, you remember Exodus 33, verse 11, a great verse. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Can you imagine Moses listening to God speak to him? And it's like speaking, a friend speaking to you? Do you know that still happens to us as we read the word of God? God is speaking to us like a friend. It's just sharing and just really caring and really just showing love as he ministers to our hearts as we read the word of God. That's how we should look at it. Promised land people never, or I should say promised land people need godly leadership. They need leadership that hears from God and knows his voice. It's not a good place to be to receive counsel or receive from a leader who is not in the word of God. Who's not hearing the voice of God to lead the people. That is not a person you should be following and listening. And so I always had a challenge if I ever heard someone teaching, how can I listen and take and move forward if I don't know their leadership or know who that person is? Just because they're a talking head doesn't mean they're good, godly leaders. So we always have to be very careful who you're taking in information from. You want to make sure that, because we want to have good, solid, biblical-based leadership that knows God's voice, hears from God, and is moving in the direction that God's directing. So it gives you that reassurance of the stability of who you're listening to, who you're following with. Now in chapter 8, we're still seeing the events that occurred in chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8 is no different. We're going to see right there that in the camp of Israel at the Mount Sinai on the day of the tabernacle was erected and dedicated to God. And God spoke to Moses about three matters in chapter 8, going into even into chapter 9 and 10. The first one is the carrying of the lamps. We're going to see that in verses 1 through 4. And the dedicating of the Levites in 5 through 26. Then we get into chapter 9 and 10 the next time we're in Numbers. And we'll see the, uh, his guidance uh, to the nation as they marched Canaan. And that's where we'll be picking up in verses, uh, chapters 9 and 10. But here in Numbers chapter 1... Verses through three. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. So if you remember, one of the um, furnishings, articles, very holy article inside the holy place was the lampstand. It was on the left-hand side, if you remember, when we studied that. Uh, and uh, that was the only source of light in the first part of the sanctuary, what we refer to the sanctuary. Remember the Holy of Holies, which is on the other side of the veil. That didn't need a lampstand. Why? Because the Shekinah glory over the mercy seat lit that room up. It didn't need any additional lighting. God's presence had all the lighting. Imagine in heaven. God's glory and, and, and 
is going to fill the heavens with, there'll be no electrical bills up there. There's no, oh, we're going to run out of oil. How are we going to make this? Do we have an emergency generator available? Because No, we have no fear because God is going to light that place up. There is no day and night. It's always day in heaven. Ooh, it's going to be great. So we see here, the, God is giving direction to Moses to give to Aaron and his sons and others to make sh- his sons, I should say, to the priests to make sure that the lampstand, because that was their responsibility to trim the wicks, keep the oil in the lamps, and make sure that it never goes out. Now notice that the, there's a difference between the, the lamp stand and the lamp oils. There were separate items here. And we see that these seven lamps had to be, shall be give light in front of the lamp stand. They were supposed to be arranged so that the light would project in front of that. And we see the fact that the lamps were fueled by an oil, which would need to be this continuing filling with the oil, providing the constant light. Now, as they arrange the lamps to face toward the front of the lamp stand, we see in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, that makes lampstands a picture of the church. It talks about the church itself, not the light that the, the being, you know, that does that becomes the light of the world, but it does provide the platform for Jesus' light to be shown or to see, be seen. So again, the, the, these, these imageries that we can take and say, okay, here's the lampstand. Remember, they had the seven um, arms to it. That is there, but it it doesn't provide light. It's not until the lamps and the oil is in place with the wicks that causes the light to come from the light stand. So the church is a picture of the light lamp stand. But the church itself does not provide light. But the lamp, now that's what is significant. It did. It was significant because since the tabernacle and its furnishings and its service speak of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we will see in Hebrews chapter nine, the lampstand is 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 a symbol of of the fact that the the lamps and the oil and everything is is especially the the lamps is providing the. The light of the world, or Jesus Christ himself, he's bringing light into a dark space. We see that in John 8, 12, that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. We see that God is light, 1 John 1, 5. And it's only through his revelation that we can see and understand spiritual truth because he brings light to this. So all of this is a reminder for us. It's always a picture. It's always a reminder that the priest that Israel was called to be was to be a light to the Gentile world, Isaiah 42.6 and Isaiah 49.6. The oil in or for the lamps was a symbol of the Holy Spirit of God. In the scripture, oil is always referencing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the oil, was in the lamps. That is what brings the actual power to bring about light. If it's just a lamp, it's just a lamp stand, but no oil, you have no power. 
So it's important we understand these imageries or these pictures that we see of the empowering of the Holy Spirit as a symbol of the oil for the lamps. And it empowers us, you and I, as the Holy Spirit lives within us, inside us, empowers us to be able to be effective witnesses for Christ. We see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We need the Holy Spirit to come through our lives to bring light into this dark world to lead Gentiles to Christ, to live, to, 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 to reach the non-believers, to bring as a witness of who Jesus Christ is. And that is through the powering of the Holy Spirit. The church is filled with the Spirit, can face any opposition and continue to bear witness courageously for Jesus Christ. We see that in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 33. And I add that tonight because as the church continues this path and things get darker and darker around the world, especially in this country, and more absence of wanting nothing to do with God, nothing to do with church, nothing to do with anything of a godliness, understand that the church empowered by and, and puts Jesus as the forefront of that body, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will obviously be able to endure all kinds of, t- of tribulation and testing that will come as a church in the end times. We don't have to worry about these things. Now, if you're a church who does not put Jesus truly as Lord, and doesn't worship and lift God's you know, praise and honor to God and God alone, and is not filled with the Spirit of God moving, that church, oh, have mercy on you. Because that church, I believe, is what we're talking about in the end times, will quickly, a great falling away will happen in the church. That's why I think, as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, and allow the, not to grieve the Spirit of God that lives within you, allow the Spirit of God to bring and be brightly, you bright for Jesus, bright for the Lord. When that happens, we have nothing to fear. God is going to actually use that in a very, when dark things are happening, you'll be so bright, people will be coming to say, looking for hope, and you'll be able to point them to Jesus. It's gonna, it's, it will be good. The persecuted church thrives when they're under persecution. Why? Because the Spirit of God becomes so bright in and through the people. Verse 4, now this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold. From its shaft to its flowers, it was hammered work according to the, the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses, so he made the lampstand. So just in verse 4, we're talking about how that lampstand was made. They literally took hammer and hammered and made all the beautiful petals and buds and, and everything on that lampstand out of gold. Amazing. Beautiful. In Israel, we saw a big replica of it. Oh, just gorgeous. Verse 5, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them, sprinkle water of purification on them and let them shave all their body and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. So we see the second part here of chapter 8, which is the cleansing and the dedication of the Levites. 
The Levites are the laity, those who were called by God to help support the priests in the work of the ministry. They're the ones that tore down the tabernacle and set it up. <laughs> They're the ones that were there to get and help and support the priests to be able to do the ministering inside the sanctuary of the tabernacle. Now think about this. What the, look at what they had to do. They had to be selected and pulled out, right? A tribe that got selected here. The priests had to had this dedication that took place. We see that back in Leviticus chapter 8 and 9 when we studied that. And it was a dedication of the Levites. And the priests seemed to have a more spiritually oriented service. But the Levites, when we studied that, needed to be dedicated unto the Lord also, but more practical service or practical ways uh, in regards to a heart, showing a heart dedication or a consecration of the Lord. It's quite interesting. Can you imagine? I, I think the Lord has called you to be a, a Levite, uh, uh, to be an elder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to be a deacon. You're going to be a deacon. And to do that, to be a deacon, we're going we're gonna to sprinkle the water of purification on you and you're going to have to shave your entire body. And then after you shave your tire body, we're going to wash your clothes and give you. And they're going to end up getting special clothes to do the service. And you, that's how you're going to make sure you're clean. Can you imagine that today? You know, you're going to be a deacon. Let's you know, let's examine. You're going to be shaving your entire body, entire <laughs> body, and get washed and have different clothes. Uh, yeah, people are going to step up to that these days. But but if God's called you to do it, you'll do it. But thank God that's not what God called you to do. He looks at the heart. That's what he's looking for. It's not just a ceremonial thing. This is purely a heart of how God has called you to serve within the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but the sprinkling of the water of purification, that's a ceremonial cleansing. Again, it's a picture of the cleansing of sin. That's what that picture is. And it was a part of the new covenant as described when we, st we study, uh, we referenced, I think it was on Sunday in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. The, the verse was, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. It's talking and referencing of the cleansing of your sin from your body or from your life. The shaving of the body was a commandment, of course, of of, of the ceremony. And if you remember, where else do we, do we see that there was a part of the ceremony for to evaluation of cleanliness? Do you know where else the shaving of the body takes place in the scripture? That is for someone who has the purification of a leper. A leper would have to do that. We see that in Leviticus chapter 14, verse 9. And again, it's a, a new star, getting like a baby. There's no hair. It's a baby, a hairless. Well, I don't know. All bald babies are hairless, but you certainly have less hair uh, when you're born there. Verse 8. Then let them take a young bull with its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, and you shall take another young bull as a sin offering, and you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of a meeting, and you shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel. So you shall bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering from the children of Israel, and they, that they may perform the work of the Lord. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls, and you shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. And you shall stand 
the Levites before Aaron and his sons, and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. After that, the Levites shall go in to service the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering. So we see this part where Aaron is bringing the Levites out that have been separated by God for his service to work within the support the priests there at the tabernacle. And it was like a wave offering. It was a present, something before God. It was a portion of meat or, or bread that it was essential. And it's basically saying, this is yours, God. This is yours. These are yours. These are yours. Why? Because we see in the scriptures that God has the right to be able to claim as we continue to study here in, in verses 16 through 19, has the ability to claim the, this, this body we call the Levites and, and, and separate them from the rest of the world to do and, and, and dedicate their lives to serve God for the people. And there was a ceremony and there was a cleansing and there was an offering and they were given by God for the priests to help them in the ministry. And so it's very important we see this because it's still true today. God raises people up to help the, the pastor, to help those who are spiritually ministering to do their responsibilities. They bring others around to help carry the load, to be part of it. It's not one higher than the other. We're all equal. We just have roles and responsibilities, a calling that God does in the ministry to help do what God's called us to do. And sometimes people put all these hierarchical things because they're all wrapped in organizations. But this is an organism, right? This is living and breathing. This is God-driven. And as long as God's doing it, it's a good thing. You don't do it God's way, it never goes well. And that's the same thing for them. They must follow this. This is, a, again, work that God had called these Levites to do and that was a gift to the Aaron and his sons to help them in the ministry. Verse 16, we can see a little more detail here. For they are wholly given to me among the children of Israel, and I have taken them for myself instead of all who opened the womb, the firstborn of all the children of Israel. For the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel, and I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work of the children of Israel in the tabernacle meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel, that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. So right there, you can go back into Numbers chapter 3, verses 40 through 51, talking and explaining through this process. But let me capture this. When God brought Israel, uh, the, the people, uh, the Jewish people out of Egypt, if you remember Passover, that there was a consequence if you didn't do the firstborn died, right? Uh, the Pharaoh and anyone who did not do what they were supposed to do in regards to Passover, firstborn Firstborn a male, firstborn of the of the beast, of the of an animal, the male animal, they would they died. 
From that point on, he protected the Israel peoples, Israel children. So the, no, the firstborn didn't die. The firstborn of the of, of male animal didn't die. He says, because of this and I've saved you, they are the firstborn uh, son that was born, the first uh, of the male uh, animal. They're mine for my purpose to do what I need them to do. Here we see in the scripture is he says, instead of taking them at this point, I'm going to take the Levites to replace them and they are going to do the work within the ministry. Not your son that you just had. Now you have to dedicate him to, to, the, to, to me. And eventually as they grow up, they're going to have to go work, into the, work in the, uh, the tabernacle. No, you get to stay with family. But the Levites will be the ones actually going to be helping the priests. And that's what that explanation was here in verses 18, 16 through 19. If not, then there would have been a plague among the people of Israel if that wasn't dedicated for those who come near the sanctuary. Well, that was an important point here because if you remember when we studied, we put the tents around the tabernacle. Those tents, the Levites that surrounded the tabernacle, had the purpose of the fact that they were going to the tabernacle every day. But there was another purpose, if you remember. It was to protect the rest of the tribes from just storming the, the tabernacle. Those planting their tents around it kept watch. The priests and the Levites must keep watch of the tabernacle and not let anyone storm the castle there. Because if they storm the castle, that, that person was going to die. God said, you will die if you touch it. Because no one else was supposed to go inside the tabernacle. So that's why it says here, if they come near the sanctuary, they would have the plague. They were going to die. They were to protect. Now verses 20 and 22 here says... Thus Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites according to all that the Lord commanded. Moses concerning the Levites, so the children of Israel did to them. And the Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord, and Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. That after the Levites went in to do their work in the tabernacle, meaning before Aaron and his sons, as the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. Verse 23, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is what pertains to the Levites. From the 25 year old and above, one may enter and to perform service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And at the age of 50 years, they must cease performing their work and shall work no more. They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend the ne to needs, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall do to the Levites according their duties, or regarding their duties. So we see here that the age, again, according of who could go do this work, started at age 25. Now, if you remember, we studied earlier in other parts of, of Numbers where it was 30. And there was always that question, do you start at 30 or do you start at 25? What most commentators, are, and what I believe is that you officially had to be on your own doing the work at 30, but you were an apprentice starting at age 25, and you had five years to work alongside before you had to go solo to do probably much of that work you had, before you become fully responsible. And they went to how long? They had responsibility of working until they were 50. 
At 50, they then stepped back from that senior role, from being fully responsible, and they could come along and kind of assist and be part of it. It's like a retiree, right? You just want to get involved. You've been doing it for the last 20, 25 years. You just don't stop it. So can I do a little bit? I can sweep now. Like I didn't use, I used to have to do everything now and, and, and do all the sacrifices and do all the lamps. And so, well, I can sweep now, you know, but they couldn't do work as God commanded at age 50. I'm not sure why age 50 they had to stop, but clearly there was a purpose, probably because the work was so hard that at age 50, they maybe at that age, they needed to step back and allow for the younger people to come in and take responsibility. But this, again, this chapter shows how important for us, the promised land people that we see here of, of God's people, must be cleansed, must be dedicated, and must be doing the work of God. It's so true for us, is it not? We give our life to Jesus, we're cleansed. We dedicate our lives, Lord, I repent completely. I don't want to do anything. I just want to follow you. I dedicate my life to you. The next step is then, do the work that God's showing you to do. If you give your life to Christ and you're saved, and you've dedicated and you say you're dedicating your life to Christ, but you just sit and do nothing for Christ, you're missing the final step. You must be doing the work that God's called you to do. How do you know that? Well, as you mature, God is going to show you the spiritual gift or gifts he's given you when you got saved. And he's going to show you and put on, the, on your heart desires to do and serve him in the kingdom. Amen?